Welcome to Central Line, the AHA podcast. This is the official podcast of the American Animal Hospital Association, dedicated to simplifying the journey towards excellence in veterinary medicine for every member of the veterinary team. Here's your host, Dr. Katie Berlin. Emily Tinscher and Jules Benson, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having us. It's nice of you to stop by and to have given up your original time twice because of scheduling issues, none of which were yours. Some some people are tardy, which we try not to be, (laughs) and that's okay. Yeah, well, I really appreciate it. We hope to model collaboration in all ways. (laughs) Yes, as you do. (laughs) Um, Well, would you mind just introducing yourselves, uh, Don't Everyone Talk at Once, and letting us know a little bit about you and how you came to be here? So for the first year that Emma and I worked together, I used to make her introduce herself first. And, she, and eventually she got upset enough to tell me that she didn't like that. So <laughs> About the third time. Yeah, yeah. Did you know she didn't like it? Or were you just waiting I was for tr- I was just trying to be collaborative and like it doesn't have to be about me all the time, even though obviously it does sometimes. But um, I was anyway, I thought it was a nice thing, but apparently it was annoying. Um, so <laughs> I'm Jules Benson. I'm the chief veterinary officer at Nationwide. I've been there for about three years. I took over from the amazing Dr. Carol McConnell, who held the job for about a million and 17 years. I think it was 17 years for the nationwide and just an amazing figure who we all still um, talk about with such reverence and uh, and um, respect and um, a lot of love as well for her, certainly at nationwide across the profession. Um, I'm a Liverpool grad, so I was lucky enough to take part in the ECFBG program, which is delightful. Uh, and I've been here it's in the States. Letters. It's at the Educational Commission for Foreign Veterinary Graduates. It was a, a fantastic program because Liverpool was not an accredited school. I see. Uh, and I practiced in Pennsylvania for uh, about three and a half years full time and then a bunch of time part time. And I've been in the industry now for this was far longer than, than I than I look, obviously, because I in my my thirty five year old boyish looks. <laughs> we were just talking about that. <laughs> well, none, none of us have the looks that we thought we did. Uh, no, it, we, it, we had a whole conversation about how um, people didn't look their age and whether that was actually a compliment. That's true, or whether it's Zoom age now, and I can never tell how much smoothing true. there is. Uh, right, or is it is it like? wow, that's really old. Like, I had no idea you were that old. <laughs> <laughs> so everything depends on how you take it. It's a matter of perspective. It's true. Yeah, it's true. Um, <laughs> that's fair. Uh, my, my focus areas in the profession are really, uh, I've been playing with uh, data and pet health data for um, over a decade now, and I uh, really focused on how do we, how do we use that to um, get better outcomes for pet families and to, to um, really push forwards and get to the next frontier, which I think everyone acknowledges that data plays a big part in it. I think there's just not very many roadmaps to how that takes place yet. So yeah, we're working on that. That's true. And some people aren't data people, as I was just talking about with someone earlier. Yeah. Um, and we, we can uh, we'll let Emily introduce us, obviously. But I think like there's some, there's some great resources out there and a lot of people who've been ringing the bell on mm-hmm. data in the profession for a while. And I think it's just one of those things where it's just not top of mind for many of us because mm-hmm. it's, unless it's coming into clinical work, it's sometimes really hard to get our heads around how it's applicable, why it's applicable, and what should we be doing about it. Yeah. And it's a lot more work than often we wish it was. Yes, it's a lot more work than feelings, which is <laughs> sometimes not a great guide. Well, we'll just, otherwise, we'll just press the AI button that, yeah. that we have, and it will solve all our problems. Right, right. Someone has that. <laughs> Looking for it still. Yeah. Dr. Tincher. 
Yeah, so I am a 2016 Auburn grad, so still relatively recent, but I'm a second generation veterinarian. I grew up in my parents' rural mixed practice in Southern Kentucky, uh, less than an hour north of here. So I got to see my mom actually uh, at the beginning of this trip, which was very fun. And you're about to have a birthday. About to have a a birthday birthday. as well. I am roughly the age that I look, I hope, but I um, (laughs) will see. More gray hairs every young. day. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so I, after Auburn, I spent a year internship back in Kentucky and then practiced clinically in primarily emergency medicine, a little bit of general practice relief in the Philadelphia area. So we all share having worked mm-hmm. clinically in Pennsylvania. Yep. In fact, you we shared patients once or twice, we including did. my own. <laughs> we did, yes, which was quite fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, Yeah, so I have always had an interest in taking what I've learned at a local level and trying to solve problems at a more broad national or global scale. And that for me, I love communications. I love uh, education and working kind of collaboratively through partnerships all towards how can we work together with pet families to meet their needs, not necessarily the the needs that we have, which is a... It's what brought me to Nationwide as the Director of Vet Relations, and it's what has me so interested in working constantly on spectrum of care. Is uh, Just trying to acknowledge that there's a huge part of pet health care and everything that we do that goes beyond the medicine. Mm-hmm. It's, it's how do we communicate in a way that people feel like they're part of the team with us and that their needs are being met along the way. Love that. Okay, bye. <laughs> I, I was so, so tempted to jump in about the gray hairs, but... <laughs> Until we, now. You just had to mention that you didn't have any. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, yeah. I don't know about those gray hairs. Like, I don't understand why they grow in so funny. Like, why are they so wiry when they grow in? They're very rude. Just like I wouldn't know anything about I them. Mean, you wouldn't. It's, it's, it's tough. <laughs> just guess. So, uh, <laughs> so you both are are at Nationwide now, but you've both seen a lot of different aspects of the industry, and um, I know. You know, we've had a lot of mutual friends and acquaintances. Um, Emily and I met at another vet conference, at the Uncharted Vet Conference. I think, do we have a secret handshake? Were we okay. those partners? I can't remember. We were partners for something. We but were partners for something. Yeah, we might have had like a bizarre secret handshake that's very secret. Horses and <laughs> <running>. <laughs> so secret. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It was just a while ago. Yeah, it's been a while. But, <laughs> but it's really nice to be able to spend some time and chat with you. And I've really enjoyed like Jules. We haven't had a chance to meet until now, but Emily and I have seen each other at a few conferences this year, and it's really been nice to hear about everything that you guys are working on and passionate about. I can, I can leave if you guys are like. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, Emily and I were doing just fine without you, is what I'm trying to say. That sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> um, although we there, were, there were a couple of Zoom calls where uh, we noticed that you had matching um, cats Cat and things yeah. for the cats oh, and ca- to yeah, run the cats. on. Yeah. It was like, it was a continuous <laughs> thing from yeah. one zoom screen to the other. It was pretty cool. Yeah. It's like a requirement to work at nationwide. You have to have cat furniture on the wall. It's as if someone cool had it first and then someone else copied them. I mean, that, if it's I was almost gonna, like that, hard, gonna... to say, <laughs> hard to say that's the case or not. No, I have full credit that, uh, so I have a young COVID cat Exploding Pop-Tart. And uh, he needs to be entertained Sorry, is your constantly. name Exploding Pop-Tart? Exploding Pop-Tart, yes. It's very fitting. It's from, a, from one of my favorite childhood books. And uh, it fits him. However, having having seen uh, Jules's catastrophic creations, yes. 
I knew Pop-Tart needed one. Yeah. So. I, I feel like I have to show it to my dad now because my dad has cats that I think would love some. Well, I mean, I have to bribe. So our cat, who actually, so our cat Jethro is from here in Tennessee. We adopted mm -hmm. him on a dirt road in Grundy County. Uh, his full name is Jethro Comfort Adams. Um, <laughs> Comfort is a family name from my wife's uh, family. <laughs> and he was found on Adams Lane. So Jethro Comfort Adams. Um, <laughs> he has many, many names, as all of our pets do. Um, but he's... Uh, <laughs> Another orange cat. Um, there is a requirement to have an orange mm -hmm. cat as well as the cat furniture. Mm -hmm. um, and Emily has spent, I mean, there, there, are, there is some, there's not really competition. To say competition is an unfair term because obviously Jethro is so superior, but like there's a lot of competition as to which, or, <laughs> which orange, orange cat, cat is, is the best one. Yeah. I mean, uh, Pop-Tart is perhaps more of a mascot, at least. He likes to be on every team mm. meeting, but yeah, they cool. are both delightful, excellent orange tabbies. <laughs> yeah, things are very serious at Nationwide. <laughs> I mean, all business all the it's time. It's not, not serious. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We have a lot of work to do, but yes. we have fun while we're doing it. That's the way to do it. I don't think there's anybody that got into the vet industry because they didn't want to do work. I feel like there are just a lot of other ways to go. I don't think you get far as a lazy, unmotivated person in the industry. It doesn't feel like a, an easy profession to languish in. I don't think so. Yeah, I get the impression that most of the people out there, like, this is as relaxed as they get. Yeah. It's like being at a conference because you're not at the clinic. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely um, we're a profession of, of hard workers, but knowing how to have fun is good. So, um, so I wanted to ask you, there's a chalkboard right out there and it says what does a better world look like because the theme of this year's connexity is create a better world and i'm sure you've taken some goofy pictures in front of that side i would like bet that you've done it or at least <laughs> that you're going to before you leave but also <laughs> what do you think a better world looks like in vet med why don't you go first this time that's attention sure. is that okay that's great all right fantastic there's so many things that that uh we could consider with that one of the side hats uh, that I wear when I'm not at Nationwide is um, on the board of directors for the Veterinary Leadership Institute. And I think uh, part of the skills that we work on in that organization, leadership, communications, um, servant leadership, and like using that to come back to your team and be a better leader within the vet profession, all of those things fit for me into how do we show up and be our most authentic selves and contribute well as we're not lazy in this profession, but contribute in a sustainable way um, to partner with pet families so that we can just provide more care for more pets. And I personally firmly believe that pets are not a luxury and they're not a privilege and everyone deserves the ability to own a pet. They are a responsibility. Of course you have to take care of them, but uh, that everyone deserves the ability to have a pet uh, for the benefits that they bring, um, mental health, physical health, just joy. I think even if anyone was questioning that before COVID, like yeah. there's so many great stories of the, the ways that life, our pets made our lives better, you know, pouncing all over us <laughs> on Zoom calls during uh, times of being stuck in isolation. And I think we have a responsibility as a profession to find ways to do that in a sustainable, um, business sustainable way. And for me, that looks like, that's why I'm so invested in a spectrum of care. How do we find ways to um, provide evidence-based medicine that is tailored to a com communication style that's not judgmental to pet families from a range of basic, intermediate to advanced to whatever 
people are looking for, pet families are looking for to meet their goals and the available resources that they have, knowing that, sure, it would be great if we could all afford and um, everyone was, you know, believed the same way that I did about <laughs> about pets. But that's just not the world that we live in. So yeah. how do we find ways to, and I, I think that has um, so many implications for mental health in our profession, mm-hmm. for sustainability of keeping our our vet techs and our vet nurses and our veterinarians within this profession so that people, you know, if, we're, if we feel like we're on the same team and not on this constant push and pull and divided from the, the pet families that we serve, I, I think that would be uh, a huge step forward in getting us uh, to be a more sustainable profession and a, a more sustainable uh, pet health ecosystem. Yeah, I don't think at this. I don't think there's any suggestion that it's not challenging. So there are always going to be challenges, especially when it comes to the affordability of pets and the affordability of care, right? But we we know that the um, the uptake of veterinary services and the 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 inflation that we see not just not in our prices necessarily, but in the ability of us to do things that that curve outweighs you know the affordability for a lot of people. So I think the the grave import of trying to find out how we can provide a level of care that that everyone can agree is an acceptable level of care without feeling like they're failing their pets i think that's where um i think both of us have been in jobs where it's felt like that hasn't always been afforded to us and i think that creates so much uh, anxiety and tension um that that isn't good for us much less for the the families we're serving so yeah i agree here at aha we're proud of our guidelines but we know what it's really like to be in practice We know, for example, that maybe you read the guidelines, but your colleague doesn't, or you read the guidelines, but the doctor you're working with doesn't, or you might want to present what you learned in the guidelines at a team meeting, but team meetings, am I right? Well, our free implementation toolkits are designed to give your team the tools they need to adapt the guidelines to your unique practice. Check out our tips for technicians and CSRs, handy charts and infographics, and downloadable pet owner pages. You'll also find links to podcast episodes, a quiz, and other related resources that can help your team do what only they can do. Bring the AHA guidelines to life in your practice. To download our free pain management toolkit supported by Zoetis, go to aha.org pain management and click toolkit. And be on the lookout for canine vaccination, working dog, and senior care toolkits coming very soon. That's so true. And I'm thinking of 500 examples in my head right now where I didn't feel free to make choices that would have allowed me to provide some treatment within the limitations that I had. And one of them was my first job. I really didn't have a lot of freedom and I thought that was how it was going to be forever. And that was really devastating. Um, And luckily I wasn't, you know, there were other great things about that job. And I really loved the people that I worked with, but it was not a place where I had a lot of leeway um, to make my own decisions. And as a new grad too, you know, you, you worry about every decision you make. And so I was simultaneously relieved not to have been able to make those decisions because I would have worried about that too. But we don't learn to be good vets unless we can work within the confines of that exam room, that pet, that family. Um, and I, we've had some really good conversations, Emily, again, mm-hmm. completely without Jules there. Yeah. Um, just, where we, just to <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Just we, where we <laughs> talked about, uh, you know, the idea of talking about this to veterinarians in all stages of their career mm-hmm. and making, trying to, 
pass on the message that this isn't subpar medicine. It's mm -hmm. medicine. Yep. Yeah. And that is a, that's a cultural shift. It's a movement. Yeah, it really yeah. is. I think the all stages of our veterinary career, we just launched our college program earlier this week for this semester, which is a two hour communications workshop on spectrum of care. And the first hour is just talking about listening, communication mm -hmm. skills, and all of those things feed into how to have, how to collect an excellent history. Mm -hmm. That, that thing that allows us to get to 85% of di the diagnosis is yeah. just the history. Although, and I would, if someone would have just told me that in vet school, I would have been like, oh, all this time that mm -hmm. I'm spending as a student collecting histories and doing yeah. not the cool stuff it's that I really want to important. do. I would have thought maybe that was more important. So yeah. like, histories are really important. Um, so we you know, focus on those communication skills and listening and doing that within that framework of non-judgmental communication and, and providing the evidence-based medicine for them. And it's so incredible. I'm not sure where our, our biases uh, begin and are kind of instilled into our brains that the most advanced care is always the best, most mm -hmm. appropriate thing. Yeah. But they... They don't think that way. Yeah, they're they're so earlier in their early early in their career that the the workshops they've done so far they they really get it. Like they really get that meeting pet families where they are is where they need to begin with their conversations. It's really cool. I'm yeah. excited to see how it goes the rest of the semester. That's awesome. Well, and, and even challenging some of those norms about leading with the most advanced level of care recommendation. Like I, I know that's the conventional wisdom at this point. Um, but we just we just completed some research, um, which which basically you know supports the the observation that that's that's not what pet families are looking for most of the time. That 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 while that may be, you know, the most advanced care may get the the in most cases the the most you know favorable medical outcomes. You know, we talk a lot about you know Emily's you know designed the workshop around things like um, Parvo and the Colorado State Protocol and just. The disparity between the outcomes between the highest level, the most advanced level of care, and a more, you know, moderate level of care, the outcomes are not massively different. And, mm -hmm. and being able to provide that evidence-based approach to care and to be able to communicate appropriately with pet families around what are your choices here and how do you move forward, um, it's uh, it's it's been you know really great to, to watch this come together. Yeah, uh, are we closing in? Do you think on resources that sort of because I do feel like standard of care is a little bit loosely defined, you know, <laughs> it's like Captain Obvious yeah. statement, no, but, no. but, you know, you have situations where, you know, there's a ceiling, you know, like we can't, we can't go below this ceiling because then we're just in the, we're on the wrong floor and we're not going to get to where we want to go. Um, but that's kind of freeing to know that at least we know where that level mm -hmm. is sometimes. Like we know that this leg is broken and if we can't do what we need to do surgically, then maybe amputation mm -hmm. is the best bet. You know, we can't send it to a fancy mm -hmm. specialty center, but we can amputate that leg and the pet could have a, a yep. great quality of life. Yeah. But that amputation is out of the realm of possibility for that owner, but it might be easier to focus our efforts on on raising the funds needed, mm -hmm. finding the funds needed for that amputation, knowing that that would be a curative treatment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but not everything is that obvious. And yeah. so we've been talking a lot at AHA about how to work spectrum of care discussions into the guidelines, you know, maybe not writing them into the guidelines themselves, but taking time to create resources that help people decide where that line is for endocrine diseases mm -hmm. or, you know, um, 
kidney issues, mm-hmm. something like that, and and f- helping to guide our colleagues so that they don't feel like they're letting somebody down because they can't choose the top tier of care. Well, and I think part of that is also, um, and this is happening more and more in human medicine, right? Gathering things like you know client-specific outcome measures. Mm-hmm. So know, knowing that we have you know three allergic dogs. There's, there may be different tolerances for what resolution looks like to the owners in those three different circumstances, right? So some of them may be okay with the very, you know, moderate approach you may get with antihistamine. I know that we're that we're not using antihistamines anymore, but um, you know, from a from a generic over-the-counter point of view, with some EFAs and some you know some dietary change and like again, maybe more committed to the long view with less money versus somebody who's looking at, you know, a, a, a pharmaceutical approach that's going to cost more versus going to a specialist, the, the three different people may have different views of what that means to, mm-hmm. to be successful. Yeah. And I think that's when we, when we start talking about outcomes, I think we're talking about outcomes for the family rather than a, a purely medical outcome for the pet. Yeah. So I think it, that's, that's where some of our focus is shifting because I think, and again, shifting over to the data side of the house, Mm-hmm. trying to capture information around outcomes obviously it's incredibly difficult and it's not something that we've done particularly well as a profession but trying to get to a place that is more evidence-based that speaks more to the needs of the pet family rather than just what we believe might be medical resolution and you know i know that we've seen we see great advances in medicine but sometimes we see incremental advances in medicine that result in you know, very high costs for the, for the pet parent. Yeah. And are, are we having good conversations about those things or at least giving, you know, the most information we can to the pet family? Yeah, that all makes a lot of sense. And also, you know, I think um, it, I've always thought that we don't treat the pet, we treat the, the bond mm-hmm. between the family and the pet um, because that bond looks different for everybody. And this just, this, makes that so much more solid Mm -hmm. when you say improving the outcomes for the family, which in some cases may be euthanasia because they can't support the life that that pet would have if we can't do the gold standard, gold standard of care. Um, But that is a very different way than we're taught in school. So um, these conversations are so important in talking to people who are just out of school or in school um, and solidifying that idea while they're still solidifying all the other ideas. Like when I, I took my acupuncture course and there was a vet student in it with me and I'd been out 10 years and she was still in school and she picked that stuff up so fast because everything was still getting molded. Mm -hmm. And I had these like very rigid ideas in my head about how things worked. And then they telling me to put needles here to fix this thing here. And my head just exploded. (laughs) And she was, she just flew ahead of everybody else. And I feel like it's the same type of thing, you know, planting these ideas while everything is young and letting everything form around that is so valuable. You know, I, I do think that's helpful, but I will say that having grown up in my parents' vet practice, practicing within a spectrum of care and knowing that there are various ways that you can help pet families mm-hmm. that are all acceptable. I love one of our teammates came up with the phrase, basic isn't bad. Um, yeah. It feels a little bit like a return to how we practice medicine a couple decades ago mm-hmm. and knowing that everyone just has very different resources, buckets to pull from, and there's often a trade-off in time, convenience, and money, and other things too, but those those trade-offs exist. And I think we have a lot to learn from those yeah. of us who haven't been out uh, as long, have a lot to learn from the, the practitioners that have kind of been through that and figured out MacGyver different ways to, That's a really to good point. get yeah. through what, what basic could look like in a way that meets everyone's needs, including the welfare of the pet. Yeah. We tend to kind of scoff at like, oh, it's like 
medicine from 20 years ago or whatever. But like sometimes you can learn a lot from when they didn't have the stuff available that mm -hmm. we have. Yeah, sure. I love it. Well, thank you both. This is so much fun. I love talking to both of you. Um, and like in all sincerity, I mean that. And <laughs> you guys are both really fun, but you're, you are bringing so much to the profession and I love what you're doing. So thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you very much. Thank you for having us. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Central Line, the AHA podcast. If you love what you hear, please take a moment to leave us a rating and review. For more resources to help you simplify your journey towards excellence in veterinary medicine, we invite you to visit aha.org. That's A-A-H-A dot O-R-G.